welcome everyone to uh, back to the North Road Church of Christ YouTube channel. And I know it's been a while for uh, for us, but because of uh, ornery ornery, uh, we will be uh, having the sermon recorded on YouTube. And in First Kings twelve, we find Rehoboam making a poor decision. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was living in Egypt, for he was yet in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Then he said to them, depart for three days, then return to me. So the people departed. Now here we have, we have some wisdom here being shown by Rehoboam, don't we? The people come to him and they make their request. And he says, all right, give me some time. Let me think about it. Give me three days. And there's some wisdom there, isn't there? And, and allowing ourselves some time to make really important decisions. Now, sometimes we don't have that advantage. Sometimes we need to make a decision hastily because of the urgency of the situation or, or whatnot. Um, and so we have some wisdom here being shown by Rehoboam. In verse 6, King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today, and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. And so the elders, another um, sign of wisdom, right, on Rehoboam's part, he's asking the elders who served with Solomon. And they say, if you will be a servant, they will serve you. Think about this. You're, you're an heir to the throne. You're going to be the king. The people want to make you king. But they're saying, if you'll be a servant, people will serve you. And what does the text tell us that Rehoboam does with that advice? In verse 8, but he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, what counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us. The young man who grew up with him, the young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, your father made our yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Going against the crowd. That's the advice that we get sometimes, isn't it? Well, if the crowd's doing it, then maybe it's wrong. If the crowd, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off the bridge too? And here we see Rehoboam going against the crowd. He signs with his contemporaries. And I want you to consider that it's not necessarily the crowd that we look at, but it's our heart. Where did Rehoboam start? Where was his starting point? In Second Chronicles 12, 
we see this. Verse 14. 2 Chronicles 12, 14. Let's, let's just read 13 to gather the context. So King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah the Ammonitess. He did, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Rehoboam's starting place was not seeking the Lord. It's one thing we don't see in this text. Now, the Lord was in the middle of all this, and the Lord was working even though Rehoboam had made a bad choice, and we'll get to that. But we can see that Rehoboam, he asked the elders that served his father Solomon. He asked his contemporaries, right? But where's God? Now, again, some choices we make, if you're in the DQ line, if you, if you like Dairy Queen and you're trying to make a decision, uh, it's not going to hurt, I guess, to pray and ask God chocolate or vanilla. But I don't think that's a decision we need to put much thought into. But when we're talking about establishing kings and what type of king we're going to be in Rehoboam's case, I think we need to include God. If you're talking about who or what uh, type of person to marry that's something you need to pray about what type of friends you're going to hang around with what type of job you're going to have where you're going to live things like that big decisions we need to inquire of the lord because we want to make the best choice possible rehoboam's starting point was not seeking the lord and brothers and sisters where is your starting point with the choices you've been given in life, with the decisions that you have to make, where is your starting point? Not what the crowd is or isn't doing. That shouldn't be our concern, although we are aware of the culture around us and what the crowd's doing and what they are not. But our concern in making a decision or having the choices presented before us in making a decision isn't what the crowd is or isn't doing. It's what does the king say? Is there a principle that I can apply to this decision? An old fable that has been passed down from generations for generations tells about an elderly man who was traveling with a boy and a donkey. As they walked through a village, the man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking behind. The townspeople said the old man was a fool for not riding. So to please them, he climbed up on the animal's back. When they came to the next village, the people said the old man was cruel to let the child walk while he enjoyed the ride. So, to please them, he got off and set the boy on the animal's back and continued on his way. In the third village, people accused the child of being lazy for making the old man walk, and the suggestion was made that they both ride. So the man climbed on and they set off again. In the fourth village, the townspeople were indignant at the cruelty to the donkey because he was made to carry two people. The frustrated man was last seen carrying the donkey down the road. We smile, but the story makes a good point. We can't please everybody. And if we try, we end up carrying a heavy burden. Well-meaning Christians may offer us advice and much of it is valuable. 
But when we try to do everything other believers want us to do, we can easily become frustrated and confused. That's why we need to remember that the one we must please above all others is Christ. And we do that by obeying God's word. Have you carried any donkeys lately? You don't have to if you're trying to please Jesus. What donkeys have you been carrying because you're trying to please others with the choices you make? Brothers and sisters, ultimately, there's one whom we have to please. And sometimes our choices can hurt other people. If we're making the right choice in God's eyes, sometimes that will happen. A friendship may be broken. Uh, A loved one, even, may be offended by the life and choices that we're making because of Christ. Brothers and sisters, our intention isn't to harm other people with our choices, is it? No. Our intentions, our motives behind the choices that we make in life are to be God-honoring. Sometimes that will hurt people. Rehoboam, he didn't try to please the crowd. And it was the wrong decision. Rehoboam had the option of going with what the elders of Solomon's day said. And Solomon being one of the wisest men to ever live, I'm sure that the elders that Solomon chose to to counsel with them were wise men. Rehoboam didn't go that route. He went with his contemporaries. When you think about childhood friends, they said what? Rule, Rehoboam. Rule over them. And the elders who had much more wisdom said what? Serve, Rehoboam, and they will serve you. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we've been called to serve. And we talked about this in our last sermon. We can't be a derelict in our um, obligations. Uh, We can't be derelict in our duty. It's a term that's been used quite frequently now because of what's going on in Afghanistan. Some are accusing our president of being derelict in his duty. But as Christians, we cannot be derelict. We have to remember what we've been called to do. Choosing what to do with the choice that you made. Think about that. Choosing what to do with the choice that you've made. And we've talked about this earlier. We've made a decision and now there's subsequent choices needing to be made. We see Rehoboam and Jeroboam making these subsequent choices. When you think about peer pressure, peer pressure can happen at any age, can it? You get peers that uh, can uh, consult you and you're encouraged by them because they're your age and they get you, right? And this can happen if you're young or old. Um, those of us who are older and we say, well, I've got to consult with older ones because they're my age and they get me and they've seen what I've seen. They've experienced what I've experienced sometimes. And so I'm going to consult with them and we neglect and we forget that there is wisdom in youth too. They can see things and remind us of things that we saw when we were older that maybe now that we're older, our eyes and our minds forget.
Proverbs 11.14 says, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Oh, that's true, isn't there? Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Because you're getting people that have different experiences coming to the table and offering their godly advice and their wisdom. They see things from a different angle. All of us in our lives have blind spots. All of us. And so it, do, it would do us well to get the opinions and advice of others who are godly and spiritually minded. But he says, in an abundance of counselors, the proverb writer says, there is victory. Now, think about this just for a moment. Because when we think of counselors, as it's said in Proverbs, we think of people, don't we? We think of other wise people that can come alongside us and offer their counsel. But notice what David says in Psalm 119, verse 24. He says this, Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. You ever consider the word of God, excuse me, you ever consider the word of God a counselor? Sure we have, right? But when we think of the term counselor, sometimes all that comes to mind are people. And the writer of Psalms, David, he says in Psalm 119 that they, God's testimonies, are his counselors. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? To know that the word of God also is a counselor. And Rehoboam, Rehoboam went against the crowd and it wasn't the wisest decision. His starting point wasn't seeking God. The writer of 2 Chronicles 12 tells us that, that he, he did not seek the Lord. Brothers and sisters, where is your starting point in seeking or, or in making choices? God can use our wrong decisions. God told Samuel, that it was of him, it was his doing, that the kingdom was split. It's not that God wanted it to happen, but he knew that it would happen, and he was going to use it. Because of Rehoboam's decision to listen to his contemporaries and to be a ruler instead of a servant, the kingdom would split. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15 that bad company corrupts good morals. In the context, he's talking about the resurrection. And brothers and sisters, there's something to be said about someone who believes and lives like they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There is a paradigm shift in the way that person thinks and looks at life. And so we're not just talking about someone who has bad morals. That's true. Bad company corrupts good morals. But in the context, again, Paul is talking about people that believe in the resurrection and people that do not. I'm not saying you can't have some level of morality if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. I'm not saying that. But I think you would agree that if you believe and your life shows that you believe that in the resurrection of Christ... That changes the way you look at life, and it changes the way you look at the choices you have. 
So what are some ways of choosing wisely then? How did Samuel choose? In 1 Samuel 16, how did Samuel choose? Samuel went against his feelings. We see this starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go when Saul hears of it? He will kill me. And so Saul has fear and Saul has sadness. Now it's quite ironic that he loves Saul. And he's saddened that Samuel, uh, God has rejected Saul. But he also recognized that Saul's kind of lost it. Says if Saul finds out I'm going to go and anoint another king, he's going to kill me. And so he's afraid and he's sad. And yet what do we find him doing still? Going. Going to Bethlehem. He put aside his fear. He put aside his sadness. And he did what God said. Any psychologist will tell you, you shouldn't make any big decisions while you're under immense stress and emotions. Samuel was. He was under immense emotion and stress. At least from what we can see of the narrative, he was afraid and he was sad. He was grieved. And yet he still obeyed the word of God. Brothers and sisters, through all of our emotion, through all of our anger, fear, sadness, whatever it is, we still can choose to obey what God tells us through all of how we feel. Now, I'm not saying again that we avoid our feelings and emotions and suppress them. I'm saying do what Rehoboam did and give yourself some time to make a decision to choose. But in the midst of those feelings, we still need to obey God. And what was Samuel's motive for choosing to go to Bethlehem. We see the famous scripture here in this chapter. In verse 2, we're just going to read down through, talking about motives. We, it's important for us to remember our motive for choosing what we choose. But Samuel said, how can I go when Saul hears of it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. He came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Iliam and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Samuel goes. And as soon as he goes and sees Jesse's firstborn, he says, Oh, he must be the one. Samuel had to get past his feelings. And he had to get to faith. God instructed Samuel what to do. And so he passes Eliab by because the Lord says, even though Samuel was sure, surely this is the anointed of God. But the Lord said to Samuel in verse 7, 
Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees, not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And brothers and sisters, this is why it's so important that we check our motives. Because not only are our actions under scrutiny, but our motives are as well. And not just scrutiny, but, but the Lord wants to, he, he sees our motives and he wants to help us through the help of his spirit to make the right decision. But we have to understand and remember, if we're going to choose wisely, understand it's not about just the choice, but it's about why. We can make a good choice for the wrong reasons. Our motives can be impure and yet make a good choice. And so we want to recognize and remember that God sees the heart. We have to get beyond our feelings sometimes and choose by faith. Because we need to trust God and his word more than we trust our eyes. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I have to use my eyes to see and make decisions. Brothers and sisters, sometimes the choices that are presented to us may not seem like their ideal. But they may, the hardest choices sometimes are the ones that are made by faith in Christ and in his word. Going against what may be easiest for me. Going against what may seem like the right decision. In Samuel's mind, the right decision was Eliab. But if you recall, we can see some of Eliab's character when David goes to give the boys some cheese and crackers because they're waiting to see uh, what anyone who who's going to step up to the plate and fight Goliath. And Eliab accuses David of having ulterior motives. Says he burned with anger. Let's read it in First Samuel seventeen. We'll start in verse um, twenty-eight. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, David, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, "Why have you come down?" And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. I don't know if Eliab and the other brothers saw Samuel anoint uh, David or not, but we can see some of Eliab's character here. Number one, he's not fighting. <laughs> he's not fighting Goliath. And number two, he's accusing his younger brother of having an ulterior motive. Brothers and sisters, if you want to choose wisely, sometimes we have to put our feelings aside. If you want to choose wisely, sometimes we have to put what we see aside. Paul tells the church that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so other word, in other words, we live above and beyond our senses, seeing what is unseen, as Moses did. Brothers and sisters, it's not that we don't use our senses, right? We do. But we live beyond them. Every decision we make shouldn't be based on how we feel, 
how we what we smell, what our eyes tell us, what our hands touch. You, you get what I'm saying? To walk by faith is trusting God. To walk by faith is being in cooperation with God's will. And so the decisions I make comply with his will. And that's not always easy, is it? Especially when you have the crowds and you have our, we have our contemporaries and we have our emotions and we have all these voices coming at us and differing opinions. And if you're parenting today, I can't even imagine all of the advice and different things and different ways of thought and schools of thought that's going on today. And so you may be tempted to keep up with the Joneses. Do what's right in the sight of God. Do what's right in the sight of God. Is your heart like Samuel's, that he was seeking after the Lord? Or is it like Rehoboam's? And he did not seek the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there's so many other things we could have discussed today. And maybe my thoughts are discombobulated in some way. I don't know. Things have quite changed, no pun intended, this morning for us. But I encourage you to consider, consider Rehoboam and the way he chose. What was his starting point? He did not seek after the Lord with all of his heart. And I pray that your starting point in making decisions is there. I want to please God first. I want to acknowledge him in all my ways so that my path will be straight. And you want to be like Samuel. He put aside his feelings. We shouldn't make any big decisions when we're under stress or in, a, in a tense, intense emotions. We also want to consider that and we want to remember that our motives are also important. We know this, right? It's just a reminder for most of us. Because God doesn't look at us like man does at the outward appearance. God sees the heart and he sees the motives He saw Eliab's character before Samuel did. Samuel had to learn to not look with his eyes, but look by faith in making the choice that he did. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you're safe today. As you can hear in the background, the wind's picking up, and I think we made the right decision by keeping everybody home. And It's disappointing to me because I really enjoy the fellowship, and I, I really enjoy the gatherings. But I pray that you stay safe today. Be encouraged by this simple message, choosing wisely. And Lord willing, we look forward to seeing everybody on Wednesday evening. God bless.